0: morning cross point. It's great having you here and thank you to those who are joining us uh, online as well this morning. So kids, you can be released. Miss Jenny is in the back there with the flag and if the rest of you will turn with me to 1st Peter this morning. So we're continuing this morning in this month-long series that's entitled Be the Church. Now, if you're like, haven't we done that before? The answer is yes and no. We've done similar series because it's, it's our desire to continually align our hearts as we follow Christ together, but I'm not preaching the same sermons, right? Like that would be boring for me and I would put you guys to sleep. So we're kind of hitting similar themes, but talking about it in different ways. And so last week, and, and this was so much on my heart, was to talk about to start the year with our eyes and our minds fixed on who God is, the the holiness of God. And that holiness doesn't just mean moral perfection. It doesn't just mean He's perfect and and doesn't sin, though it does mean that. But it also means so much more because you, you have God who is the only infinite being, no beginning, no end. He is absolutely different than all other creation to the point where you have these sinless, burning, angelic beings in the presence of God, and yet they are covering their face and crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy. This is the God we serve. And this is what I hope that, that for me, and in that it's not just to start the year that way, for in many ways that picture and that message and those application points from last week is what I pray is the focus throughout the coming year, that it's not just to start there and then move on from there, it's to, to stay there, to continually grow in our understanding of who this infinite great God is. And one statement that I made last week was that we come to see ourselves more clearly To know ourselves more fully when we behold clearly and in truth who God is. As we behold God, we come to understand ourselves more fully. And that's my prayer for us this morning that we would see ourselves not just as we think about ourselves, not just who we think we are, not just who we want to become. But who are you becoming in this year in light of who God is? That's the question I want in our minds this morning. Who am I becoming in light of who God is as we look to this coming year? Because the reality is, we tend to think of ourselves in extremes. We see facets of ourselves and we take snapshots and allow that to determine the whole. Right? Like when you look in the mirror and see yourself, sometimes. For some, it's overly bad. I'm worthless. I'm terrible. Look at all my flaws. Look at these aspects of myself that I don't like, that I want to change. Others, on the other extreme, can look at themselves and like, I'm it. Like, I wish more people could be like me. I have the intellect. I have the looks. Like, if only more people were like me, the world would be a much better place. We we think in these extremes. The problem is we also see other people the same way. Right, Like when we look out to the broader world, we can either say, people are terrible. The world would be a much better place with less of them. On the other side, we also can say, man, people are amazing, and if only we all work together, we can achieve anything. People are awesome. And if we're only looking in the mirror at ourselves, it's insufficient. I want us to have a full in robust picture of ourselves, in light of who God is, and what He declares about us. So that we can become who He declares us to be, not just who we think of ourselves. And so I want to begin this morning by reading from First Peter chapter 2. Then I'm going to pray and then let's dive in. First Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 9. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you, against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds." and glorify God on the day of visitation let's pray lord i thank you for your word this morning i thank you for who you are and i pray that you would continue to increase our understanding and experience of who you are the the immensity of your holiness lord the height and depth and width of your love Lord, help us to understand and to know. And as we see you more clearly, would you help us to understand ourselves? Lord, help us to walk in obediences to the purposes that you have for us. And in Jesus' name, amen. On New Year's Eve, we had all of our kids at home. So all of our kids, but one are now adults. So that also means that they have money and they like to buy fireworks. So throughout Christmas Eve, our neighbors had to endure this bombardment of explosions throughout the night leading up to midnight. So yes, we're one of those families, the kind that you complain about, that was us, right? So a little bit before midnight came, I was like, I kind of wanted to get this on video. So I took my drone up about 200 feet up and pulled it back so you could see the house, the neighborhood as they were going to light off these big fireworks. And the kids, they lit sparklers and they ran up and they lit like, what was it, like eight (laughs) as simultaneous of these large fireworks to go off. And it, it filled the sky. It filled the entire surrounding around us. And it was incredible, but then I I brought the drone back and I put it on the computer and the kids are all standing around there and we look at it, and all of a sudden, this experience that filled everything that they understood about the world around them, the comment was, we're so small. Like, those sparklers are just tiny lights dancing around on the street, and these fireworks that filled our vision are, were only but part of what was happening in the neighborhood, in the streets that were happening around, in the fireworks, street after street. And I thought it was an interesting statement. It's like, oh, that's what we look like. It's a different perspective. And, and that's what I'm hoping for this morning. Because sometimes our lives and our experiences are all we see But when you pull back from a different perspective, you you see yourself from who God is, how he sees us. We see our smallness. We see ourselves in the context of this bigger story. And this is what I'm hoping for with us this morning. But I feel like there's a couple different things we need to look at this morning because The reality is that sometimes we can focus on one element of how the Scripture talks about us and overemphasize that, and it's to our own detriment. And so I want to begin at the beginning, because if you think back to what we were talking about with God last week, of His holiness, His immensity, He's eternal, He's transcendent, He alone, do they cry out, holy, holy, holy. Like, if we have in our minds who God is, That is completely unlike anything else in all the universe. And then to have God say, this author and sustainer of life in Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is called the Omago Day. That mankind is different than all other creation. All other creation had been created. They didn't bear God's image. And yet mankind is somehow unique in that the image of God. And in Hebrew, this means that it's similar. It's not identical. We're not little gods. Don't think, oh, we're little holy beings ourselves. We're God and going to have our own planets one day. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying is that we're not identical, but we do represent something else. That mankind is a representative, an ambassador to this holy, transcendent God. It's as if our life is a mirror. And as we behold God, we are reflecting His glory to all creation. That is our our purpose. That is what we were created to, to do. I mean, think about this for a moment. Because in Romans 1... It says that creation itself displays the invisible attributes of who God is. Simply because God made it, we can see the invisible qualities of God's wisdom and knowledge and creativity in creation. And yet, mankind is different than that. Mankind was created in the image of God, in in His likeness to fully reflect who God is. This is the purpose. And, and there's implications that this has. So many implications. That when it comes to the value of human life, it is rooted, the value of human life is rooted in the fact that mankind was created in the image of God. To the one who feels worthless, unseen, unloved, God has created you in His image. The imprint of who He is is upon your life. Like, this is, is the reality. Uh, this impacts how we see racism, injustice. Because we all bear the, the, the imago Day this impacts when women are treated inferior when men all men are treated as toxic when children are abused the elderly are abused it all comes back to this foundational value of human life because we have been created uniquely in the image of god there is a value and a purpose for which we have been created that is foundational but then we read these words in 1 Peter 2, and it starts to, to draw in, in the mindset this idea of who we are now versus who we were. And who we were is, is not just talking about this imago day this image of God, it's talking about something broken. And it says once, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you were not You had not received mercy. See, there is someone who we once were that's also important for us to understand. At the same level, when we are understanding who God is forming us to be, it's important to know why he made us in the value, the intrinsic value of mankind being created in the image to reflect the glory of a holy God. But there's also brokenness. That it's as if you take this mirror that was meant to behold God and reflect His glory to all creation. And it's as if you take that mirror and you smash it on the ground and it breaks into a million fractured pieces. That's what happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God being perfectly holy and righteous and in rebellion in that disobedience We forfeit it. We we no longer reflect His perfect holiness. And we became broken and shattered. Our intellect, the Scripture says, has been corrupted because where we once beheld God, now we look at creation. And, And Romans says we worship creation instead of the Creator. Our hearts have become hardened against God where in our brokenness we don't even pursue God. Romans 3 says it's written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned away, they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And sure, yes, people seek the hand of God, they seek His blessing, That they seek His comfort, but they do not seek a God to whom they will surrender their life and understand their purpose for being created. They want the blessings of God without God Himself. And in our broken, shattered state, it says our hearts have become cold and like stone rejecting God. In this rejection, Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning our purpose was to reflect His glory in rebellion to exist in pride. And this makes us by nature, children of wrath in Ephesians 2.3. Meaning because we have rebelled against God and we are in a shattered state, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. And that's not just talking about a physical death. That's talking about a spiritual death of separation. Separation for all eternity from the presence of God because He is holy and we are not this is who we once were but here's the amazing thing the imago day remains see it could be tempting to think that the imago day because of this shattered state we're in is gone but that's not what scripture says the value of mankind is not diminished because of our sin. In fact, in, in Genesis 9 is the clearest evidence of this, in my opinion. So God created them. We, we are going to create them in, in our image. And so mankind bears the image of God. But then you have the, the fall of Adam and Eve. You, you, you see their sons fight and then kill one another. The, the world is so evil, God floods the entire world, only saving Noah's family. And once those flood waters receded, and Noah was back on dry land, God says this. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. It's capital punishment for murder. For God made man in his own image. See, if you're reading too quick, you would skip over this, but there is this declaration from God that even though mankind fell, even though the entire world had to be destroyed and started over with Noah's family, the image of God, the value, the worth of broken mankind remains because they still bear the imprint of God's image. So who are we now? See, this is who we were. But who are we now? Because I think this is important for a couple of reasons. That sometimes what I feel like can happen is we only look at the amago day, and, and we ignore that, that we're broken. Or we only see our brokenness as Christians. We talk about ourselves even now as though we were still as we once were. And we need to understand the totality of the purpose for which God created us, the reality of our situation, and who we are now, today, in Christ. And this is where First Peter, I think, really comes in. Because there's some context here, I, I want you to, to understand. This book, First Peter, was written to non-Jews. And that's going to be important when we start to see some of the language. They were facing persecution from, from, from Jews, from Greeks. They were feeling the pressure from both sides, wanting to follow Jesus, but feeling put down. And Peter, Peter who once wouldn't even eat with Gentiles, now is writing them this letter. And he's going to use language that was very much applied to the Jewish people in the Old Testament And now he's going to speak over these Gentile believers who are suffering. And so it's in this context of feeling beaten down, feeling broken, feeling rejected, that Peter then writes these words. But you, you are a chosen race. Think about this. If we just kind of take our time through each of these statements, that you were set apart by God to be a blessing to the nations. You belong to Him. The world would seek to divide us by the parents you were born to, the nation you were born in, or the color of your skin. What race are you? White, black, Asian, Hispanic, are you majority, minority? But from God's perspective, we belong to him as a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So even if you think back to like that chosen race, this, these were written to non-Jews. They're saying there's there's one people. It's not these dividing lines of are you in or are you out. It's rooted in who God is, not in who we are. This is why it's important for us to see ourselves in light of who God is, not just from our own perspective or surrounding. And then he calls them that, that you are a royal priesthood to reflect Jesus who is the great high priest, that you, royal priesthood. The priests were the ones who entered into the presence of God, who who experientially knew God. There was both a a privilege and a purpose in their role. See, the privilege uh, of a priest was to, to... enter in. To, they were more acquainted with God than, than anyone else. They were the ones serving at the temple. But there was also the purpose that they interceded between the nation and God. And to say that, that that's you. That's just not me as pastor. You. Chosen race. Royal priesthood to behold God and reflect His glory, to intercede between God and men, to pray, to be there. A holy nation. I think so often we talk about America Different nations. What it means. What flag do we wear? Do we stand under? But it's to set apart to be holy that God Himself is holy. It's a holy nation. That we're declared clean, not dirty. Because of who God is, not who we are. Forgiven. Not an object of wrath. We've received mercy. Mercy. Once we had not received mercy. Once we were children of wrath, but now we have received mercy. This is who we are. Belonging to a holy nation. A nation that is set apart for the glory of God among all the peoples. A people belonging to God. Think about this. You are part of... If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are part of a people that belong to God. Have you ever felt like the outsider in a group? You know that feeling like I feel that often. Just for whatever reason, I don't like, I'm the one who doesn't belong. I'm the oddball here, in some way. I think we all feel that pressure. Everybody else has it together and I'm to this or to that. And to say a people belonging to God that because of who God is and what he has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ we belong. We have a place. Because of who he is that you're not an orphan. You're not an outsider. You're not the bystander. You're part of what God has redeemed for his glory to proclaim his excellencies. It's God taking up the shattered parts from our rebellion. Our purpose to behold God and reflect His glory that we rebelled against. And on our broken, shattered existence, God entering into our brokenness, bringing about redemption and restoration so that we can behold Him once again and then reflect His glory to proclaim His excellencies. This is the purpose for which we were created to know God, and to reflect His glory in our world. To be called God's people. Not God's person, not God's individual, not God's champion. Part of God's people. Called to be part of a community, which we're going to talk about more next week. That you have received mercy, not wrath. This is who you are in Christ. And I think about this. What if our goal was to become who God has declared us to be in this coming year? Right. like, what if it was to, to, to know God more fully? To understand what it means to to be a chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart to declare the excellencies of Christ. What if we said, Yes, that's what I want to become who God has declared me to be? Because we can focus on numbers on a scale, books on a shelf. But what does it matter if we're just doing it for our, for ourselves, for our own comfort? We're called to so, so much more. And I think one thing I've been aware of uh, that I hear at times, especially when we have, I believe, a, a full understanding of what the gospel is, that the gospel includes bad news we are broken in sinners in need of redemption it's not just God loves you and that love goes everywhere it's no our sin deserves the angry wrath of God but Jesus took that upon himself when he died on the cross this is the fullness of of the gospel that we proclaim, but too often I think what happens is Christians use language to describe themselves for who they were rather than who they are. I'm a worm. My, my heart is broken. I, 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 I deserve wrath. I deserve all this stuff. That was true. Yes. It is not now true because of who Christ is. Is. And this is where First Peter then goes on, even in, in chapter 2, in verses 21 through 25. For this God, for for this purpose, for these purposes of who you are, this calling, because Christ suffered for you. This is why I want you to feel the weight to become who God has declared you to be, who He says you are. That we would hold on to this. Because Christ suffered to purchase your redemption. So we need to remind ourselves and declare ourselves, who has He declared us to be? And let us walk in that. Because Christ suffered for you. And in His suffering, He has also left you an example. So that you might follow in His steps. See, this is what Christ has done. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins, those broken, shattered pieces of our rebellion and the wrath we deserved. He bore the wrath of our sins in his body on a tree that we might die that we might die to sin and live in Christ in righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep in your brokenness but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls this is who we are because of what Christ has done. And to ignore that, to belittle that, is to ignore and belittle who Christ is and what He has accomplished on our behalf. And so we look at the person of Jesus who purchased our restoration. His work that has paved the path for us to walk in. And we see that we have a purpose to proclaim his excellencies. And so what does that mean? What does that look like now? And I love how Peter writes to the audience here, beloved, Beloved." It, it reminds me yet again which I talked about last week from Ephesians 3, that we would know the height, depth, and width of God's love and not just understand it, but to know it and experience it. And then we will be made complete again. Beloved, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions Of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, we began with that question of who are you becoming in light of who God is. As we behold God and we see ourselves from the Imago day, to our brokenness, to being restored? How do we see ourselves in today, in the year that lay ahead, in the circumstances that we face culturally, personally? I love these two words of sojourner and exile. If you've ever traveled, I think of the the, the missionary or the immigrant, living outside their home culture, right? Like where where the mother tongue isn't being spoken. I remember at times just the background conversations, being in a place where the background conversations weren't English and everything just felt hard. Trying to buy bread, like I'm trying to learn a language and I can't communicate (laughs) and it's frustrating and then the background conversations I'm hearing aren't what I'm familiar with. And it's not like I'm, like, I don't even realize how much I eavesdrop until I can't understand I'm like, what are they talking about? And the food is different, and the spices are different, and the sleep schedule's different. And then you really do feel like an outsider. I just don't fit. And I can't even hide. I can't even pretend like I fit. It's so obvious that I don't belong in so many places that we visited. And it's, like, it's just like, you're a foreigner. And we try to fit in. And we learn to adapt and we learn to appreciate other aspects. But in the end, there's always a longing for home, of something comfortable when I can just go buy a loaf of bread and not have to remember how to say it. And that's the kind of language that Peter uses. You're an immigrant on this earth. You're a sojourner. This isn't your home, it's not your culture. We long for healing and wholeness in this world. But we know that this world is not our home. America is not the ultimate nation, English isn't the ultimate language. Whatever race you are is not the ultimate race. We see ourselves in light of who God is. And we're sojourners in this world. We're exiles. We're passing through and we're headed toward a better country. And we're part of a a better race. And we're part of a holy nation that's set apart. So let us live in light of who we are. And it even says it's not going to be easy. It's going to say that, that it's a battle. Look at what it says here towards the end of um, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Oh, no, it's in verse 11. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That this is a battle. It's a battle, and we see that it's gonna both come from within and it's gonna come from outside of us. That there are there are attacks that's gonna come from the outside, and there's gonna be apathy that's going to battle within us. Because it says the culture will ridicule and belittle, speak against you, call what is good evil. It says, look, do what's honorable, it says in verse 12. Keep your conduct honorable and so that when other people see you and they say that what you're doing that's honorable is actually evil, that's what they're going to say, but that they will ultimately see your good deeds and give glory to God. There will be. There are lies that want to speak against. There are lies that will say, hey, everything you need is just in yourself. You can do anything. But then what happens is people look in the mirror and they're like, I don't feel that. I know me. What the Bible says is you do have worth and you do have value, but it doesn't come from within you. It comes because of who God is. What he has imprinted upon your soul gives you infinite, eternal value. That nothing you can do or have done will take away from that. Even in your brokenness, there is value in worth. Do you hear the difference? What the world wants to give us is cheap. And it sounds good, but it holds no weight. But when the infinite holy God of the universe says, I have created you in my image, and yes, you are broken, and I will restore. And this will make us outsiders, sojourners. So keep your eyes fixed on Christ. So I want to encourage us to respond in two ways. When I think, like, what does this mean? Where do we go with this? I think one aspect is we need to remind ourselves of what is true. If we're going to walk in who God has declared us to be, that He has purchased our restoration and He has established for us an example for us to walk in, we need to rehearse what is true. Because... A lot of different sources want to shape that in our hearts and in our thinking. And I think taking the time to meditate on God's Word, to ask yourself, what does that look like? I would encourage you to take the time this week, if you're not in the middle of a reading plan, to read First Peter. It's an incredible book. Just even spending this little bit of time, like I'm excited to preach First John, and I'm like, but I love First Peter too. And like these are uh, to, to be in God's Word. And if we're going to understand ourselves, we have to behold God. And we're not going to do that just looking at ourselves. We need to have our hearts and minds fixed on who God is. Only then will we see ourselves clearly. And so how will you rehearse these truths? If it's not reading 1 Peter, then how will you be in God's word? That is the standard of truth not just listening to podcasts or reading commentaries, how will you intentionally listen to God's Word, be in God's Word, so that your heart and mind is being renewed by the truth? Second, what does it then look like to walk in obedience to Jesus' example? Like if we think about this, if these things are true, that I am part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, if, this, if my purpose in life is to reflect and proclaim the excellencies of Christ, what does that look like? In this moment, in my situation, to be faithful to the purpose that God has created me for. That there would be an awareness of that, in a willingness to surrender to what God has for us to walk in. That you would take The time to reflect, to remember, and walk in obedience. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, for for who You are. That You call us to be holy because You're holy. Lord, that You have restored us when we walked in rebellion that you loved us before we loved you. Lord, that you would call us children. Lord, that you would give us mercy instead of wrath. Lord, would you help us to know and experience the height and depth of your love. Would you help fix our eyes upon you and not ourselves. Lord, would you transform us into the people that you have declared us to be but still feels like it's far off. Help us to walk in the reality of who you've declared us to be. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.